Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we have Todd Whittem back with us, and I'm super excited to share our conversation with you. We recorded this conversation the right before the final weekend of the U.S. Open in 2023. And uh, actually, he and I were both watching the Coco Goff semifinal match uh, while <laughs> while we were talking. So uh, just to put things in perspective for you, we are going to chat about all things junior development, what's going on in the U.S. with American players finding spots on top college tennis teams, and what's going on with our American professionals having so much success this year. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. As always, it's a bit controversial, but you know, that's what y'all know and love about Todd Whittem. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you sit back and relax and enjoy my conversation with coach Todd Whittem. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, hey, Todd. Nice to see you. We've both recently had haircuts. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Lisa. I'm excited to chat. So I have to just say to our audience, we are recording this on the Thursday before the final weekend of the 2023 U.S. Open. Um, Coco Goff is playing right now. Um, We both stepped away. Well, One of us stepped away from our TVs to record this. The other of us is watching out of the corner of his eye uh, (laughs) and and will keep me updated surreptitiously as the match goes on. But um, I think we've got a cool topic tonight. Yeah. To me, it's maybe the first time that that I know of where we have an unbelievable crop of male and female American professionals, super exciting. But on the other hand, we're having trouble sending our American kids to top colleges, right? I mean, it, it's out there that the foreign 
you know, student athletes are, you know, have taken over, especially division one college tennis on the male and female side. Yeah. What's up with that? Do you think? Well, I have a lot to talk about tonight, Lisa. Oh, Um, shocking. Shocking. Todd has an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I've done my research as well. And I've witnessed many things since I started coaching in 2010. So for our viewers and listeners, the USTA, before they built that enormous facility in Orlando, it would before that it was in Boca Raton. Yeah. Okay. And the USTA had a whole crop of unbelievable coaches. I'm talking about coaches that produced the world's best tennis players on the male and female side. There were teams of coaches put together and the USTA. And not just American coaches. They were from all over. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, there were Argentine coaches and, you know, all, all different types of coaches. There was a Swedish coach, I believe, on the women's side. You know, so, I mean, not just American coaches, right? You had great, actually, one coach that trained me on on the tour who produced Andy Roddick and Marty Fish was one of those coaches as well. So, I mean, as I always say, right, whether it's on your show, Lisa, or maybe an Instagram or social media post, it's about who is training the child. First and foremost, Parents love to speak about who their child is training with and their practice partners and who they're going to hit with and what is the UTR and blah, 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 blah. I want to know who is training that child. Day in and day out. not Every single day, multiple hours, every single day. Yeah. To me, that's first and foremost. So we go back to the USTA. Well, they bring in a whole crop of the top 14 and under you know, players in the country. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I actually have a couple of boys that I was training at that time that were pretty darn good. So I used to bring them over for practice matches in Boca Raton at the USTA. And I was friendly with a whole bunch of these coaches, whether they coached me or maybe, uh, I, you know, competed against them on the tour and, and, and these types of things. So, you know, I was witnessing what was going on And they told me that this crop of American players that we have right now are going to be incredible. Well, was I believing that? You know, you hear that every generation. This this one, this generation, that generation, right? They're trying to be positive. Let's not forget, this was at the time where USTA was charged with producing the next Grand Slam champion, right? This was their mission. It was at the front of every conversation, you know, we've got to find another slam champion. It's been too long. You know, we're going to devote all of our resources to that. Right. So, you know, in, in my mind and, and, and I would think the minds of, you know, the head of player development at that time and, and the coaches, they saw what was happening in Canada, right? They also saw how Spain had developed unbelievable players you know, they did their whole research, the Argentines, you know, I mean, you know, all all throughout the world. Right. And what's, what's the secret, right? How do we do it? How do we develop all these great players? How do we get a whole crop of American males and females to become professionals and they feed off each other and they train and everything and the voluntary Academy and how did he do it? 
And, you know, how did he bring in Agassi and Courier to start and, you know, and have a whole generation of unbelievable professionals? How did they do it? So that was the model at that time that the USTA, I believe, was trying to copy. And they had done their research and they had, like I said, some incredible pros. I mean, some of the best that you could find in the whole world, right? And the model was take kids away from their homes, right? Take them away from their home coach, from their parents, put them up in dorms. So they all live together. They train together. And that's how we're going to make this work. Yes. And also these coaches were traveling all around the country. If a player didn't relocate to Boca Raton to go help that particular player and coach. And from the research that I've done, almost every single coach in the country was absolutely open for that help, which is, which is tremendous, right? If it was one of my students and one of these coaches came in and said, Hey, Todd, I just want to look at one of your students and we think they're a great prospect. And I respected that human being they're coming in and I want them to, to take a look at my player because I think that's what's best for them and their development and another set of great eyes. And like I said, someone that I truly respect, right? That's, that's amazing. So that was Brandon Nakashima in California, Francis TFO in Maryland, uh, Sebi Corda, Sebastian Corda. I mean, you can go on and on and on. So not only was it in Boca Raton where you had the full timers that were in the dorm and everything, but you also had coaches that were going out to these top prospects and, and monitoring them and, and help, you know, coach them and develop them and, you know, help the coaches, you know, what do you need? How can I help you? All those things. That is the recipe for how these countries have succeeded and produced incredible tennis players. Plus these 14 year olds had an incredible team around them when they would travel to tournaments. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'd only have a physical trainer with them. Sometimes they'd have the trainer and the coach, right? So it it all just depended on what these very knowledgeable coaches thought was the best at that time, you know, for these particular, you know, top 14 and under prospects. Sure. Sure. And so the names that you've mentioned, and you haven't mentioned any of the girls, but um, right. but of the boys that you mentioned, we're seeing incredible success on the yeah. Tour. So just so just so you know, the girls, you know, at that time I I had only at that time I was only training boys. Okay. So that so I was watching what was going on more on the boys side. But gotcha. you know, I I you know there were girls there. I, I saw Taylor Townsend there. Actually, I brought one of my girls to Taylor Townsend to play matches with her. But at that time, I was mostly training boys. Now I have boys and girls and a whole mix and it changes all the time and all all that kind of stuff. But at that time, I knew more of what was going on with the boys, you know, on on that side. Um, So two of the best players in the world that we see all all the time is Tommy Paul and Riley Opelka. Mm-hmm. Two of the full-time dorm kids, <laughs> right? And, and they're so, my son's generation. Like they're okay. yeah, okay. 96, 97s. Right. So, you know, and, and there were and there were plenty other uh, you know, 14 and under prospects as well. You know, and and so as I call it, you know, those are the two that made it out alive to become world-class professionals, mm-hmm. right? That we see on TV. Unfortunately, Riley's been hurt for a while and everything, and he's trying to come back. And I know he's training and everything. I think he's close to coming back, but 
you know, so those are the two that were, you know, really on the, on the male side that were really the highlights of, you know, that, that time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of, you know, the training and, and the management and everything, I believe it was great. These kids had a great team around them. Now there's the living aspect, right? Not so easy, right? So what the USTA figured out at that time was, Ooh, it's a whole different ball game taking care of children. That didn't go so smooth. Right. And it took them a while to figure that out, right? You know, tennis, great. You have the great training and everything. But then there's taking care of teenage boys and girls, <laughs> right? So And boys and girls together. Yeah, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that's a whole different animal when you're when you're when you're dealing with that. I've done it. I don't have a dorm. I have private homes. I know what is going on and I can monitor that a lot easier than having a dorm, right? With, with my, with my business that I run every single day. But, you know, so, you know, those two players, they blossomed into world-class. I mean, you know, Tommy Paul is going to be top 10 in the world, I think very soon. And Riley Opelka was a top 15 or top 20 player in the world. And then, you know, he's been banged up a little bit with injuries, but you know, well, we had Taylor Fritz in there. We have correct Francis, as you mentioned, um, yeah. all Ta- doing incredibly well. Taylor as well was another one that I believe from what I know was coming into camps mm-hmm. and everything into, into Boca when he was about 15 or 16 years old. So all of these players were on the radar, Yeah, right? All of them, whether they were there full time or not. And I remember the, the, the coaches that, that, that I was very good friends with and, and still good friends with. They said, this crop of players, they're special. And I was like, ah, the USTA has been saying this forever. I mean, who are we kidding, right? You know, you know, but they were right. So, yeah. So what's happened to the rest of the kids? Why are we having such a hard time with our juniors competing against players from all around the world for spots on college teams? Sure. So when we go into amateur tennis now, like I said, I believe it always starts with the coaching. Okay. And the system that student or child is in every single day. What I, what I can tell you is that it's, it's not easy. I mean, the basis of my business is bringing up high performance players and sending them to great colleges or maybe a professional career. I know a whole bunch of buddies of mine that don't want to touch this type of business that I'm in. Okay. Maybe they will become a college coach. Maybe they go into a country club job, but I'm telling you, if they really devoted their life, like I do every single day to developing, you know, you know, high performance players, great colleges and everything, they, they're tremendous coaches. They, they're, yeah. they're incredibly knowledgeable and everything, but they don't want that type of responsibility and everything that goes with it. Right. I mean, it, there's a lot. It, it's not just a lesson and go home. You're right. talking about a whole management of the player and the parents and the nutrition and the psychology and the college placement. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Right. The physical fitness. I mean, everything. Right. The not nutrition, to mention you know, so. also keeping up with technological advances that are happening every sure. single day. New information that's coming out to help coaches do their jobs more efficiently, more effectively. Um, 
you know, and the technology that is being developed every day, new stuff coming out. So not only are you as the coach expected to know how to teach, you know, the, the forehand, the backhand, the tactical, the technical, the mental, the emotional, but also now keeping up with all of the advances in the other areas of tennis that are going to help your player reach their fullest potential. Right. No, I, I agree. Which you is know, time consuming. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. I mean, you know, when, when we go back to, you know, developing, you know, forget the, the pro side, you know, great amateurs, right. You know, there, there's a whole marketing and, and sales scheme going on, right. Really? You have a good, yeah, you have a good player, you promote them. You hope kids are going to come in, right. You want a lot of kids, right. Then you got to hire coaches yeah. <laughs> as, as well. So to find great coaches, it's about the staff. And like I said, who's coaching that individual. So that is very tough. And, and, and the management and, you know, then there's money involved. And then do you trust that coach? Right. You know, are, yeah. is, is that coach, you know, blowing smoke up my butt or are they telling me the truth? And right. So, you know, in, in, in the U S I think that, you know, Nick Boletari started the tennis Academy and everybody wants to have a tennis Academy. I want a lot of kids running around. I want a whole bunch of courts filled with a whole bunch of kids, but where's the quality in the teaching? Well, and it's like we, you and I did an episode a while back about these camps and academies that you can go and visit and really understanding what is it that you're going to get when you take your child to one of these places? You know, do you want to go to, and you know, for lack of a better example, a voluntary where you're going to be on a court with 20 kids you might see Nick Boletari for five minutes if you're lucky, but the likelihood is your kid's going to be working with another coach that you as the parent may or may not have any information about ahead of time. Um, and meanwhile, you're spending thousands of dollars to be there. And depending on how long you stay, tens of thousands of dollars. And what are you getting for that? versus being in a smaller setting that's more intimate where you as the parent and the player know the coach one-on-one, -on -one. you'll have knowledge of each other's personalities, of the way you do business, what the expectations are, what the goals are, what the work ethic is. And, you know, there's no, there's no shortcutting all of that if you want to reach the highest levels of the game. Couldn't have said it any better, <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, we've been talking about this for how long, Todd? And it's it's so frustrating yeah. when I talk to parents who are still stuck in situations where they thought they were getting one thing, you know, because of all the great advertisement, the shiny you know, social media and whatever, and then they get there and it's actually something very different. Or the coach has done such a great job selling themselves, marketing themselves, but do they really have the knowledge and the work ethic to take your child where your child wants to go? 
Right. And, and do they want to, <laughs> right? Did, you know, do, do they really want to do that? Right. Um, you know, the, the next thing that, that has hurt America with their tennis is that everything that I previously spoke about with the USTA doesn't really exist anymore. Okay. So they've cut player development. All of those coaches are gone. They're not there anymore. They lost countless, countless years of experienced coaches that have either resigned or been fired, you know, from, from the USTA. And so, was that a result of the cuts with COVID? Yes. And also before that. Okay. So, you know, so now you have what are called, you know, their camps, right? Mm-hmm. They invite players to their camps. So what are the camps? Well, the kids hit with hit balls with other kids and everything, but you know, that's not, what we're talking about with, you know, high quality training and coaching, you're getting exposed to maybe a couple different players and everything and some peers, but that's and the not... camps are typically either over a weekend, yeah. right. Or they're yeah. a week long if it's during the school break. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, what? Well, eh. <laughs> right. Eh. So, you know, so now the USTA, they've cut budgets. Right. They're not putting as much money into it. So all of those teams of coaches and all these amazing players that you're seeing on TV and and what they came through and, and the coaches visiting them all throughout the country and everything. It's not really happening anymore. So what is happening? Are we back to the private coaches being left to their own devices, which, you know, it's one of those things that I remember when USTA was coming in and cherry picking kids and bringing them down to Florida. There was all this uproar over what are they doing? How can they do this to the local coaches? There needs to be more support. And then things kind of changed a little bit and they started to bring the coaches with the players down to Florida. So it was the whole team would come down together. Now you're saying they've just kind of taken a hands-off approach altogether and the coaches are left to their own devices to figure out how to develop these kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the player development has been, you know, dismantled really. I mean, and you know, these players were brought in as top 14 and under prospects. Right. So from what the research I've done now, they're, they were, they're really trying to get the older kids that are produced and maybe try to help them. Right. They're not going towards the younger ones Hmm. anymore. That's maybe my job, (laughs) you know, to be doing that. I can tell you from my personal experience, right? And this was back, uh, I turned pro after NCAAs of 2003. The USTA approached me because I was the highest ranked American on the ATP tour out of all the kids that came out of college, all the American players. And they did. They wanted to take me away from my coach, Pierre Arnold, and give me everything, money, you know, management, and they take over. And I told them no chance. Yeah. Now that's not easy to do for a lot of families and everything, but I was so loyal to the people that had spent so many hours with me that that would never in my mind, I would never consider that. I don't Mm -hmm. care what they would offer me. That's how close I was with my coaches and I knew how much time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears they had put into me, right? But yeah. for for most for many people, it's very hard to turn that down. I mean, you're talking about 
a substantial amount of money. Yeah. Coaching and, you know, maybe wild cards into big events and all those things. And then when I said no, it's like, it's over, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, it, they're, they're really not interested in whatever, right? But Right. Well, at that, that time, you chose. were either all in with them or no go. Exactly. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's the decision that I made. It was a no brainer for me. Right. And so what's happening now? Because we're seeing players coming out of college. And I know, you know, we're going to talk about Peyton Stearns a little bit, um, but players like Peyton. But even this year, we had Fiona Crawley, who, you know, had a great U.S. Open, but is right. planning to go back to college or has at, at the time of this is probably already back on campus. Um and had to make this huge decision about whether to take her prize money at the U.S. Open and turn pro right. or turn down all that money and go back to school. Um, so now what's happening is USTA helping these players transition from college to pro, or are they being left to figure the things out on their own? Do you know? I'm not 100% sure about that, but I did speak to Peyton's mother maybe a month or two ago when she started asking me questions, you know, about the tour. I mean, she, that was a young lady that lived with me. Right. Right. And and, and, I, and, and I for had, those who don't know her, Peyton Stearns played at University of Texas. She won the NCAAs, right? She won the individual tournament. Um, she played in the U.S. Open this year. She got to the third round. Is that right? Fourth, fourth round. Fourth. Um, had a great U.S. Open and um, unsponsored. That that was right. kind of the big joke on social media is she started right. a match in, in one brand and would go on the bathroom break between sets and come out in another brand of clothing because she didn't have a clothing sponsor. Um, so go ahead. So you talked to Peyton's mom. Yeah, yeah, we were just talking about the tour and, you know, what I thought and the management and, you know, the whole the whole the whole shebang, you know, just you know, talking with her mother, Denise and everything, you know, I had Peyton's sister, uh, Peyton's brother living with me as well, Preston, you know, who plays at Ohio state university. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, you know, Peyton tremendous. I mean, from when she won NCAAs, you know, a year, a year ago, right. A little over a year ago. I mean, unbelievable ascent, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, between myself and, and Pierre Arnold, we were, you know, she lived with me for a while and training and, you know, managing and then, you know, helping her with the college placement as well. You know, so, you know, she was, you know, when I, when I look back on, you know, helping her out, you know, and everything, you know, I've housed plenty of kids, right? This girl was very disciplined. She was very solid. She was very clean. She's very neat. She's very respectful, right? How old was and she when she came to live with you? I believe she was about 17, I believe. Okay. Right? So when right she before was school. Us. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So, you know, so she... I mean, she was a pleasure to train. I mean, you know, when we asked her to do something, she did it. When we were coaching her, she was very coachable. She she was working hard. Was it easy for her to be in my system? It was it was very challenging for her. It was it was it was tough, right? And and so, you know, she she also, you know, really was playing more pro events at mm -hmm. 17 years old. When she came to me, she had already been I believe it was about top 50 in the world in junior tennis. And she had played, you know, the grand slams, but she was more into already playing futures and then, you know, going, going to college and, and everything, and then turning professional when she felt like she was ready. Mm -hmm. um, but when I look back on that and, 
And she also, you know, she wrote me an incredible note, actually, which was super nice and just a class act individual saying, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, and, and you know, when, when she had, when that. she won NCAAs and everything. And so that was, you know. Good parenting I mean, right there. Very good. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a direct result, you know, of what's going on on the parenting yeah. side. Right. And so sure. when you look at these solid athletes, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Peyton, so, tremendous. so when you talk to her mom, what is she, you know, what's going on with Peyton now that she is on the tour full time? Well, sure. Is she I mean, getting assistance from the Federation or basically? I'm not so sure. Her? Yeah. I think she's, you know, probably more on her own. You know, they're juggling, you know, there's financials, there's coaching, there's management, there's fitness, you know, there's, you know, the, the trainer, you know, the better you get, she's probably going to be in the thirties or forties in the world, the more money and the more management it's going to take to get that player to higher levels of tennis. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole financial side to it, you know, what to pay coaches and percentages and what's reasonable. And then there's, you know, the, the types of tournaments to play and, and the physical training that's needed and, and the recovery and the rest and the surfaces and managing and, the travel and managing yeah, I mean, you know, a, lo a lot of things and all of that. Yeah. No, no offense yeah. to the parents that are listening, but many parents don't get this right. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, even, you know, and I'm talking on the amateur side, forget the professional sure. side, right. They, they, I see stuff and I see where kids are playing and, and on all these things, many times it's not, it's not correct. Right. It's, it's not, it's not the right path. Well, I want to ask you about this because I thought this was interesting. Um, and again, by the time this airs, this is kind of old news, but for now we are still in the U.S. Open, so um, it's applicable. There is a player, well, there are two players still, well, I guess one of them lost today, but um, two players in the junior draw that are Americans who have not traveled around the world to play junior tournaments. They have stayed close to home. They've trained at home. They've played tournaments close to home. And they are having incredible junior careers. Um, the the male player, I'm not sure what his plans are after juniors. The female player is going to Stanford University. So when you talk about going to a top tennis program, it doesn't get much better than that on the women's side. And, um, you know, I... I want to just hold both these kids up and these families up as examples that it can be done. I love this topic. I, I love it. I know you do. I yes. know you do. And I, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy this topic because like I said, so many parents and coaches get this wrong and it hurts the kid. I can't tell you how much it hurts them because it's the wrong management, the wrong wrong, uh, you know, um, Message. traveling and, and, and everything and tournament play and tournament scheduling. It's not correct. Okay. Right. I actually had this discussion with a whole bunch of the students the other day and they looked at me like, Oh my goodness. I said, when I was training, right. And this is probably pretty similar to say a Ben Shelton or a Chris Eubanks. Okay. If I was for, you know, going to go to a big national tournament, let's say an Easter bowl, Mm -hmm. I trained without playing a tennis tournament 
for months before that tournament. And maybe I played one or two warm-up tournaments to get ready. And all of the training was, was done in a very disciplined manner mm-hmm. based on what we're getting ready for. Okay. That, so you're saying point chasing isn't necessary? Okay. <laughs> Those of you thinking, listening to this, you can't see Todd's face right now, but. Um, oh, you can't see my face. Okay, good. All right. Let me explain something to you. And I talk to Pierre about this all the time. Your child should not play in a tournament until you think, the coach thinks, that they are ready to do some great things in that tournament, do some damage, okay? I didn't go to a tournament ever without thinking that, number one, I wasn't really ready and prepared. Number two, I didn't think I could go far in that tennis tournament. Never, never, ever, ever, okay? So so this begs the question then, Todd, is it important to play practice matches then? All the time. <laughs> All the time. The students in my don't arena are use, playing practice matches. Don't use tournaments for practice matches. No. <laughs> use practice matches for practice matches. Tournaments are an examination of what needs to be done in your daily training. Yeah. Whether you, you got nervous or you double faulted too much or your forehand broke down, your backhand, your, you got tired, your physical fitness, whatever it is, that's how you manage a tennis career, okay? The, the training is your homework. The tournament is the examination. I would train for months at a time, and I'd go to an Easter Bowl, and sometimes I'd lose first or second round. Mm-hmm. I failed, right? And then I go into the back draw and try not to, you know, make the same mistakes and keep failing. But right? when you said, when you say you would train to get ready, your training would include playing practice matches, would it not? Of course. And the practice matches were more you know, more towards, you know, gearing up to that tournament. So if I had, say, a month, let's say I had a month to get ready for a big tennis tournament, maybe the first two weeks, I didn't play one point. Mm -hmm. Then the next two weeks, after all of those things were really worked on, all those fundamentals and movements and, you know, hitting the ball and, you know, all these different things that we worked on, right? Then we started incorporating them into points and sets to really have that player peak for that particular event or events coming up. Okay. It drives me crazy when, when I see kids thrown around the world, thrown around the country, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then the parents, many times, all they know is, is my kid winning or losing? Mm -hmm. And they don't know why. Okay. So, like I said, the management is, is, is critical, right? When you go to Ben Shelton, when you talk about Chris Eubanks, when you talk about me, we were never thrown around the country or right. the world. We, it was all about development. Yeah. Always. That was number one. And it was about the training. Yeah. That's first and foremost. I can't harp on it enough about how this is 
screwing up a lot of kids. So getting back to the point of where are the American kids on the top college tennis teams, whether it's division one, two, three, doesn't matter. Where are the American kids? Do you feel like kids from other countries are managing this development process more effectively and efficiently, not playing as many tournaments, but understanding the need for the training and then the practice matches and then gearing up toward the big events so that they maximize, you know, their ability to perform. Sure. Yes. I've had one of my students who's in college tennis currently, and he's been in Europe playing professional events. Actually, I've had two boys, right, Um, in Europe playing professional events, but one I've been speaking to almost daily, and I think it's mind-blowing what he's seeing out there. Mind-blowing. Tell us. What's he seeing? Just the society and, you know, from the, the coaching to... You know, kids just, it's, it's just a different world. They're at the club, they're playing tennis all day. It's just a part of their life. Right. And, and, and then they, you know, in the, in the tournaments, the competitiveness, the intensity, the desire, all these things are on a different level. Because that stuff has to be trained too, right? You have to, you have to train your competitive muscle. And you can't do that by being fed balls or by having private lessons all day long. The only way to train your competitive muscle is to compete. And you have to do that through practice matches so that you've got the freedom to work on things at the same time that you're developing that competitive muscle. Yes. And not only that, I believe it's about the environment. Right. And I try to explain this to the students that we're training on a daily basis. Whether I'm hitting with them in a lesson or I'm jumping into maybe some of the groups and hitting with them or whatever it is, when I look across the net, I want to beat them. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a drill, anything playing points, I don't care. But that was instilled, that was instilled at a very young age. We were brought up in a competitive, environment that was tough and rigorous and you couldn't survive unless you were tough. Mm -hmm. And that's what these kids are receiving in other countries. Understand that. Okay. There is none of this soft. Everybody's great. You're going to be the best. I love you. You did amazing today. I mean, that's not helping, right? That might be helping getting the check from your parent, but that is not going to help your child get to what we're talking about. That is recreational tennis. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is very different mindset. It's, it, it is not, it's one of those situations where to a casual observer walking up and watching a training in let's say Spain or France or wherever you would be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe the coaches are talking to the kids like that. Or, you know, they're they're being way too hard on these kids. But it's done with love. It's done with respect. It's done with the understanding that in order to 
be respected, you have to respect the other person. So that respect is, you know, it goes both ways. Both people have to earn it and exhibit it. Um, These coaches, even though they seem so hard and harsh with the children and their tone of voice or, you know, making them do it one more time, one more time, one more time until it's, till the kid gets it right. They're doing that because they see something in the child and want to bring that out in the child. And maybe it's something that the child doesn't recognize in themselves yet. Maybe it's something that the parent is unable to recognize but these coaches recognize it and they're not going to stop until they bring that out in the kid. If the kid is willing to put the work in. Right. And it's tough to find people like that in this country because our culture doesn't support that. Right. That what you're talking about right now are the best tennis player, uh, tennis coaches. Yeah. Understand what, what Lisa just said right now, are the best tennis coaches that produce great tennis players. And not just great tennis players. Great people. Great humans who have great a humans. strong work work ethic. Correct. Who, who are willing to be uncomfortable in order to achieve a goal. Correct. Right? I mean, these that are, are gonna that they're gonna handle, and then their tennis careers are gonna end, and they are gonna handle, you know, tough things in their life. Problem solving, tough bosses, whatever it is, they can get the job done. And these players, whether they're, you know, great amateurs or professionals, they are successful human beings because of this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is so tough to find that. And, and again, I, you know, the culture in our country doesn't support that. It's very tough as a parent in our society to sit back and watch your child be driven outside their comfort zone. Our inclination is to jump in and rescue them, right? And I, we just have to have a shift in mindset. Lisa, soft parents create soft kids. Okay. That's the way it is. Yeah. And you know what? When you're dealing with coaches that are dealing with masses of kids, what we're talking about right now, the way society is, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Because when money is the driving force, you can't have masses training them exactly what you're talking about. So what you're talking about right now, we did this today in the training and obviously we do it a lot. But we made it so uncomfortable for the students and made them so accountable to their training. And you would be, you know, surprised if someone was watching the training that's going on. It's very fair, extremely challenging. In fact, tomorrow I'm jumping in because it was that good. Right. And I'll put some videos on Instagram and everything, right, of what's going on. But you could see the look on the students' faces. That they're so, you know, just uncomfortable. And then when they get it, right, and they get it right, the sense of accomplishment is unbelievable. Yeah. And then you're like, this kid is getting better. This kid is learning. This kid is on the way up. Right. 
without that, it's worthless. Yeah. And yeah. that is what kids, I believe, are not feeling, right? And this soft stuff, forget it. It doesn't work, right? And, you know, to me, I'm like, this was like an unbelievable day. It was an incredible session of training. Every kid got it. Every kid got better. It was super uncomfortable. It was extremely tough. We had kids breaking down. We had kids getting pissed off. We had, you know, all these emotions. But then when they got it, it was incredible for them. That, I believe, is great coaching. And listen, I get it that that's not for everybody. Nope. Not not every family wants to deal with that. Not every kid wants to deal with that. And that's okay. But if your child wants to achieve the highest level in the sport, this is what it takes to get there. And we just need to be real about this and honest yeah. about it. That there's that's that's a that's a hundred percent what it is, right? There's no other way of getting around it. In my opinion, what I'm telling the kids is that they need to get on my level. Yeah. And right? it's not being abusive. It's not, no, being not at cruel, all. Right. Nope. You're not mean. You're not, you're not, you know, a total jerk, but nope. You're pushing them because you see something in them that they don't know they have. And you want to show that to them. And the only way to get kids to see it a lot of the time, and maybe the majority of the time, I'm not a coach, so I can't speak authoritatively on this, but sometimes you have to push them into the most uncomfortable situation to challenge them to raise their level and understand that they have what it takes to get there. Correct. But with masses of kids, yeah, uh, it's not, it. it's not, it's not possible. No. So this is why, right. I don't run a mass tennis Academy. Right. Okay. Because the way that I want to get things done or Pierre or my other coaches does not work with masses of kids. But if you want results, if you want to see how far your child can take their tennis, this is what you need to be looking for. Yeah. There's no other way. And this is why you have a screening process before kids come down, right? I mean, these are the conversations that happen before somebody travels down to Florida to work with you. I tell them the God's honest truth. This arena is not for everyone. It's extremely rigorous. If your child is not cut out for that, there's other places in Florida. Or if they don't want it. I mean. 100%. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not something we do. Right. 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 All right, Todd, you got to give me a score check. Are you you watching the Coco match still? Yeah. You know what actually happened? It's 6-4-1 love. And I think something happened in the stands. I don't know if someone got sick, but there was a huge pause in the match. Interesting. So. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, this this match just uh, just got back on, and then you okay. saw them warming up and everything. I don't know if someone got okay. sick in the crowd or something. I'm, I'm not sure. There have been happened. a couple incidents this year. I think the heat, and then people get happy with their honey deuces and forget to drink water. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah, six four one love okay. for Miss Miss Goff, who grew up 30 minutes from uh, where I live. Yeah, so pretty good. Yeah. 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 Well, what, yeah. you want to talk about a girl 
who is an unbelievable competitor yeah, and an incredible athlete and tough as nails, that girl. Yeah. And parents who support that and understand Correct. what it takes because they're Correct. athletes too. And, and I've had a couple of my friends actually train her. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. that girl, but I've seen her, you know, for, for a whole bunch of years now and yeah, so strong, so strong. Yeah. And, yeah. and physically a tremendous athlete, but right. mentally so special and a kind person. So this yeah, is, yeah, she is. you know, she's I don't the whole know, package. I don't know her personally, but, um, when I listen to the interviews, I'm like, man, this girl is so with it. She's got it. Like just, yeah, yeah. very, very, very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything else we need to cover before we wrap it up? No, you know, so I think, you know, I mean, you know, going back to, you know, the, the American players and and the player development, you know, this, these are, I believe some of the real reasons as why, you know, this is a very weird and bizarre time in Mm -hmm. American tennis because to produce a professional player is extremely difficult. And we have a whole crop of males and females that are really incredible. I mean, it's very, very, special times but then on the amateur side what's going on yeah right so hopefully uh, i think the viewers i think this, these were excellent topics yeah. to speak about you know i think uh you know i think the viewers will really appreciate this i hope so, so. i hope so and i think it'll be interesting to kind of check back in on this topic maybe in 6 months or so and see sure. what the fallout is from the american success at the us open um, see what's happening on the college scene, you know, once the dual match, uh, season starts after the first of the year and, you know, let's, let's keep touching base on this one. Cause I think it's going to be an interesting trend to kind of watch and, and see how it plays out. I think so. I think that's great. And you know, what I'm thinking about now as I'm, I watch Coco golf, just hit a backhand winner. Great shot. <laughs> but, um, you know, Maybe we get Pierre on the podcast again and we start talking about how we're training, you know, our students in that very tough, loving manner. Right. And parents are are paying many times for clinics and tennis lessons and wondering why the results aren't coming. Mm. I think we should talk about that topic, because if they were sitting and watching, you know, our training sessions, they would understand, I think, a little bit more about you know, the development and and what the kids need and how to get them more mentally tough and feel like they've really accomplished things each and every day at their training. I love that. I love that. Well, we'll definitely do that. And um, I always love talking to Pierre. Yeah. Well, there aren't many guys in the world that have had his results. So, you know, he knows a couple of things about tennis. (laughs) He's a gem. He's a gem. Well, Todd, thank you. I will let you get back to your family because it's uh, probably bedtime for the boys there. But um, thanks for doing this. And always a pleasure chatting with you. And to my audience, thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.